Very good morning to you. Grab your donuts. Grab your donuts, grab your coffee, grab a seat. It's very, very nice to see you all here this morning. If you've got a Bible with you, turn with me to Psalm, Psalm 1. And we'll have a look at that in a minute. Over the past few weeks, if you've been here, we've been doing a series on the Bible. And you'll be glad to hear that we're coming into land. Um, but over the next few weeks, if you've not been around here uh, during the summer before, each summer, really what we do is to, try, uh, to give our amazing Vineyard Kids teams and our youth teams who serve unbelievably faithfully. They serve... Uh, invisibly and faithfully, week in, week out. A lot of them are serving at least uh, twice a month uh, over in the other block. And it can be really easy for particularly those, those of us without children or children who supposedly, allegedly fled the nest um, to forget about it or not notice it. But uh, there's an amazing team headed up by Manny Sinead and, and Charlie, Manny Sinead for the being your kids and Charlie for the youth. And we really want to try and give them and honor them and bless them by giving them a break over the summer. Uh, and so over the summer, we run something that we've called Six Weeks of Summer. Um, given there's, there's a Ride London event, that's on the 4th of August, uh, where everything in London basically shuts down while cyclists just go crazy. Uh, so it becomes really difficult to get to church. So we don't have a service on Sunday the 4th of August. So it's actually more like five weeks of summer. Um, but what we do is we bring in an amazing team from Easy Sport and they uh, take over from the Vineyard Kids teams and they do loads of fantastic sport with all of the kids and with the youth. And it's just a great uh, time for the kids and also for the teams. And, and that just enables the teams to take this well-deserved break. Anyway, so that all of that can happen over the six, five weeks of summer, what we do is we run slightly shorter services so that easy sport don't die. Um, and so uh, this year, rather than having me preach at you every single week, uh, we thought we'd try something a little bit different. And so starting next week, because next week is the beginning of six weeks of summer, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start at 10.30 as usual, and then we're going to worship. And then instead of a half an hour, 45, 50, 60 minute talk from me, we're going to see what we can do to encourage a little bit more discussion, a little bit more dialogue than we might normally have through this medium. Um, and what we want to do is we want to do that particularly around some of the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Does that make sense? So starting next week, what we'll do is we'll explore what it's like to have more of a discussion on a Sunday morning. And I haven't really worked out what that's going to look like. Um, and essentially, the reason for that is because over these past few weeks, while we've been looking at the Bible, all we've really been doing is asking lots of questions, uh, as some of you have noticed when you've come up to me and asked me to provide some of the answers. Um, and we've looked at things like, you know, why the Bible? Why should we read this thing? You know, uh, what is the Bible? We've touched on things like, what about all of the violence in the Old Testament? Um, we've looked at last week, I think it was, uh, what is the Bible um, for? And so what I'd quite like us to do is over the next five weeks, six weeks, is to go back over this series on the Bible and then get us together to pick up each week uh, the theme that we did over the last six weeks 
and then discuss that together. Um, as I say, I've got no idea how we're going to do that. We'll use those questions from the last five, six weeks of the series as a springboard. We maybe interview a few people. What it's likely to look like is I'll create some questions and they will be a springboard for you to discuss and we'll get you into little groups and you'll talk to one another and then we might feedback and stuff like that. But, you know, as we said, the purpose of that series was really to get a dialogue going. And I'm very conscious of the fact that this isn't very dialogue-y, it's very monologue-y. And so um, let's see what that looks like. Does that sound vaguely like a plan? Do you all just go, oh my gosh, I'm not coming to church for the next six weeks? What? Sounds good, thank you. <laughs> so um, I'm not going to, like, you might be exposed, you might be like, asked to come up here and like, share your deepest, darkest secrets and things like that. It's just going to be a conversation with you, and then we might kind of have a roving mic and just like, what do you think? And just to get some fleshing out of some of the stuff that we've been talking about. Okay? Uh, this morning, though, I want to look at the final question, and that is, um, how do we read this thing? Like, how do we, act, how do we actually read? The Bible. You know, you wake up tomorrow morning, uh, whenever it is that you wake up on a Monday, and you open your Bible, and you're, you find yourself somewhere in Leviticus, and if you're honest, your heart kind of sinks, because it's like, uh, I think I've read some of this before, and it's not very interesting. Um, but you're like, okay, I probably need to read it. But the question is, like, how do we read the Bible in such a way so that it's actually a space whereby we're meeting with God and, you know, all of the stuff that we talked about last week, we're being shaped by uh, the Scriptures. So let's just kick off and let's have a look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So that person is like, and that can be translated, that person will become like um, a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither, whatever they do prospers. Here's this passage, it's a very short passage, very familiar to uh, many of us. It's right at the opening of the Psalms and it gives us, we, as the reader, we kind of get a little bit of a clue on how we are supposed to be reading uh, this book that we refer to and we call um, the Bible. And you see these words, delight, meditate, uh, prosper. You read these things like the frequency, things like day and night. And, and it's giving us some idea as to how we're supposed to read the Bible. And, and first of all is this idea of delight. I love that line in, in verse 2. You know, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And in, and in the Hebrew, this word kind of means, um, it means to take pleasure, it means to draw joy from something. It can be translated as like to desire, to really, really want something. You know, all of the things that associate, we associate with our Bible reading, don't we? You know, it's like, oh, I just can't wait. Bible reading time, hooray! You know, like I delight in this. It's so exciting. I really, really want to do this. Um, all right. Dallas Willard, he writes this. He says, The Psalm 1, man or woman, delights in the law that God has given. Note, they delight in it. They love it. They are thrilled by it. They can't keep their mind 
off it. They think it's beautiful, strong, wise, an incredible gift of God's mercy and grace. They therefore dwell upon it day and night, turning over in their minds and speaking it to themselves. They do not do this to please God, but because God's law pleases them. It's where their whole being is oriented, and the result is a flourishing life. Wow. Who's he talking about? Because that's the idea, this idea that we, we delight and we take pleasure in, we, we draw joy out of, that we have this desire for and this ache and this longing and this yearning for the Scripture, for the Word of God. The trouble is, that's not how most of us, if we're honest, feel about the Bible. That description by Dallas Willard doesn't describe if we're honest, it's like what we want to be like. True, of course. I'd love to be like that. I'd love to be that guy. But the truth is, <laughs> I'm really not. Like, dull as ditch water. But a lot of us, we just don't read the Bible on a regular basis. You know, um, we talked about it in the first week. And, and then, then most of us, when we actually do find ourselves reading the Bible, often it's out of some kind of religious guilt trip. It's like, oh, Neil's been banging on a girl and reading the Bible again. I suppose I better have to do that because, like, you know, he's like the leader of the church and he's, like, really important and I just obey everything and do everything he says, so I'll read my Bible faithfully this week. Um, some of us just do it out of, like, self-discipline. Must try harder. Must read Bible. Like, oh, 20 minutes a day. Oh, great, done that. Out, sorted. Uh, some of us actually read the Bible in a way to kind of manipulate God in terms of prayer. It's like, you know, we've got to be honest. So we pray for something. It's like, uh, if you do this, I'll really like read my Bible like, like 10 minutes every day, like honestly for a whole week. I promise I will. You ever find yourself, of course you don't, like I do. I find myself bargaining with God, whatever it is. It's, uh, the truth is, you know, the scriptures can be a bit of an acquired taste. And the reality is that some of us just haven't yet acquired a taste for the scriptures, and it's not really surprising with all the competing things that you know draw on our time and our attention. You know, there's Facebook, there's there's Twitter, there's Instagram. You know, there's FIFA or any number of games to play on the PlayStation. There's Netflix and Amazon Prime. You can watch whatever like amazing like television and, and like film in glorious Technicolor. Um, so the Bible, this poor old this poor old like book, this library of books. I mean, it's up against some pretty stiff competition in our day and age. And so for us, there's no, there's no getting away from the fact that it can actually feel quite dull in comparison to all the things that are vying for our attention. But one of the best ways to change our palate um, is to discipline ourselves to eat you know, less of one thing and more of another. And what happens is over time, your taste changes. And really, that's what we're after. We're, we're after getting to that place whereby, uh, um, uh, you know, in our growth and in our discipleship to following Jesus, that we delight in this library of books called the Bible. Now, of course, I'm not expecting that anyone's ever going to get really, 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 really excited about Leviticus. Like, that's okay. But, you know, it's okay if you find and feel better about the Psalms, or you feel better about Isaiah, or you feel better about the Gospel of John or whatever. But the point is that we're getting to that place of delight, of yearning and longing for the scriptures. That's the first idea. Secondly is this idea of meditation. Uh, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on the law both day 
and night. Now, whatever you think about meditation, I'm not getting into that right now, uh, Hebrew meditation is about looking away from ourselves and looking towards God. It's about um, filling our minds with thoughts of God as we find them in the scriptures. Um, that's what it means to meditate. It's part of what it means to meditate on the scriptures. And the, the Hebrew word is fascinating. We've talked about um, over the years things like um, chewing the cud. It's like, um, it's like cattle kind of ruminating and chewing and, and, and extracting every little bit of goodness as they pass the grass through their four stomachs or whatever it is and extract every last bit of uh, juice out of it. We talked about um, mumbling and muttering the scriptures as we do. You know, we watch that video just like kind of keeping that the word ever on our lips and we just mumble it and whisper it and quietly repeat it to ourselves um, over our lives. Uh, 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 another way of describing it, another way that word is translated in the Hebrew is, is like to think deeply. Another way is, it's described as to growl over. And um, uh, the, the word is used later on by uh, the prophet Isaiah and he uses it to describe the way that a lion sort of growls over its prey. And, and it's kind of like the, the image is really that of like a dog with a bone. So think about a dog with a bone. It's, it's got the, the scriptures are like the bone, and, and we're like the dog with the bone, and we're kind of like wrestling with it. You take hours with it, sort of gnawing on it and chewing it and sort of playing around with it, ingesting it. That's the idea of meditation. It's this long, you know, ruminating and chewing. And we're to chew on the Bible over and over and over so that it gets inside uh, systems, a system where we draw this life of nourishment and strength from it. And, and the, the truth of the matter is, the best way to describe our interaction with the scripture is we're supposed to eat it. We're supposed to eat it. Eugene Peterson writes this, Christians feed on scripture. Holy scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture, we assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name. Hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. And so we're to think about the Bible. We're supposed to think about the scriptures. We're supposed to think about this collection of books as a kind of meal rather than something just to be um, studied or, or memorized or dissected. Every time we approach the scriptures, every time we open the Bible to read it, imagine that you're sitting down to a properly nourishing meal. You know, the point is that we're supposed to put away our notepads and pens and really, we're supposed to pick up our knives and forks. That's what the scriptures are about. It's, it's a book, it's a collection of books to be eaten, to be ingested, to be digested. We take it into the very core of our body and our soul um, day and night. As we read in Psalm 1, you know, it's like 24-7. It's all of the time. Even when we're not reading it, it's like we've eaten the meal, but the meal is still working in our system, that's what happens. We read the scriptures and it continues to nourish us and feed us throughout the course of the day. Uh, so it's a delight, then it's a meditation. And last, this last idea is about obedience. And um, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but, but Psalm 1 and Joshua chapter 1, they're, they're really, really similar in lots of ways. They kind of, they kind of track. They almost say um, pretty similar things. And, and they, they both give us insight into how we read the Bible. Have a look at um, Joshua chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 7. Again, very familiar passage. 
Uh, be strong and very courageous. Uh, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you, this is to Joshua. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful. It's that language again, wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it again. Meditate on it day and night. See the parallels. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Uh, verse 7, be careful to obey all the law. Verse 8, so that you may be careful to do everything in it. And they're exactly the same word in Hebrew. Obey and do, they're exactly the same word in Hebrew. Um, uh, it's a, obey in verse 7, it's do in verse 8. And we are to obey and we are to do. Meaning we are to live out, we've got to work out what we're supposed to do with the stuff that we're reading. Now, <sighs> We all know that we've got to, you know, nuance this, okay? So this isn't just like an absolute instruction. Interpret it the way that you want and do it the way that you fancy, because lots of people have been doing that, and that's caused lots of problems. So we've got to understand that there's an obedience here and a doing of the Scriptures that is nuanced, and we've got to wrestle with that and grapple with that through the context of the whole council of Scripture and in the context and in the community of the fellowship of the saints and in the context of the community of the church, we, I believe, have to work out what a lot of this stuff, what a lot of these commands, what a lot of this obeying actually looks like. Do you see? Um, it's One of my point really is that it's not enough just to read the Bible. It's not enough just to study the Bible. It's not enough to just to know the Bible and believe the Bible. At some point, we've actually got to do the Bible. It actually has to kind of have an impact. Uh, the Bible comes alive when we live it out. Eugene Peterson again. Obedience is the living in act is living in active response to the living God. Obedience is, is living in active response to the living God. The most important question we ask of the text is not what does this mean, but what can I obey? A simple act of obedience will open up our lives to this text far more quickly than any number of Bible studies and dictionaries and, and concordances. Living in active response to the living God. And so you come to the passage, you know, whether it's Leviticus or the Gospel of John or the Psalms or whatever it is that you're reading tomorrow morning, and we come to the Scriptures and we're always thinking, okay, Spirit of the living God, Open the eyes of my heart to understand what this thing is all about because my brain can't process it. This looks really weird to me. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. Okay, what do you want me to think? God, what do you want me to think? What do you want me to feel? What are you, what are you wanting me to, to believe? You know, what is there that you're wanting me to, to do or to not do? What is it that you're wanting me to start or what is it you're wanting me to stop? What is it that I need to repent of? What is it that you're wanting me to live out? What is it that you're wanting me to celebrate? What is it you want me to worship or to give praise for or to thank God for? Or what is it that you want me to lament? What is it that you want me to mourn? What is it you want me to grieve? Um, how do you want me me to put flesh and bones on this stuff that I'm reading. That's the idea of obedience. We do it in concert with the Holy Spirit. So we delight, we meditate, and we obey. Now, the challenge, I think, uh, certainly for me, is I kind of think, well, all of this sounds like a lot of hard work. Uh, and um, is it really worth the effort? You know, should we really bother? You know, at the end of the day, this book is pretty ancient, it's pretty archaic. 
Um, should we even live under all of its authority? You know, what do we do with some of those challenging passages and swathes of the Old Testament? Do we just tip exit out? Do we just like delete it, tear up those bits and throw them away and just live happily ever after in the very simple and straightforward New Testament? Um, which is a joke, by the way, because like the New Testament is full of really, 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 really tough stuff as well. I mean, it's all tough. There's no getting away from that. You know, should we say, well, we don't have to live under all of its authority, shouldn't we just be living under the New Testament? Um, there's all sorts of reasons that we should be making an effort with this. Um, we haven't got time to look into them all, but uh, let's just have a look at the one that's right in front of us with Psalm 1, verse 3. That person will be like, you know, is like, or will become like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in season, uh, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do will prosper. You know, we like read that, it's like, oh yeah, that sounds great, like prosper, mm-hmm, yes, ka-ching, fantastic, I like the idea of this. Um, so are we right in thinking that the byproduct of this way of reading the Bible um, you know, with delight, meditatively, um, and in obedience, is going to result in success and prosperity. Is that, is that a fair reading of this? Now, um, this is a pretty slippery slope, um, because in spite of my joking last week about my autumn series being about the prosperity gospel um, and the benefits of Learjets and Lamborghinis, for those of you who are here, um, I just want to explain, just in case you don't know me very well, um, uh, it was a joke, <laughs> sort of. Um, I know, because uh, I think I said bring your wallets, didn't I? I never, never, it's never good to go off piste. Uh, um, the prosperity gospel, there, there's something, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, um, there's something pretty dark about the whole prosperity gospel thing. And I, um, you know, it's a real, for me, it's a real perversion. It's a real corruption of the gospel. And when I talk about the prosperity gospel, I don't mean in just its extremes, you know, like where we're talking about Learjets and Lamborghinis, you know, which exist. Uh, I'm talking about the way that the prosperity gospel is finding its way into uh, much more mainstream churches. Um, but here's one thing I have to admit, and that it is, as you read the, script, the scriptures, it, it, here, certainly, it's like God does want success and prosperity for his people. Absolutely. The challenge that we have, and the thing that I think I believe a lot of people seem to miss, is that, in my opinion, my perspective, my read on this, is that in the economy of the kingdom of God, um, you have to radically redefine success and prosperity and you have to radically redefine success and prosperity rather than a cultural assumption around success and prosperity, but around a crucified Messiah. So when you read success in the Bible, um, yes, it's certainly there, but I'm not sure that we should be reading success and prosperity the way lots of people that we might know may think about success or prosperity. So I think it's possibly less about you know a big house in... Wimbledon Village and a new Range Rover every six months and a supermodel for a spouse or hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram and a life where nothing bad happens to you like ever and you're always healthy um, like always. Although that all sounds really amazing. Um, but I think that's more of our culture talking than the Bible is my humble opinion. 
You know, when you read about success in the scriptures, um, I think we should be picturing less of that and picturing more of Jesus. A picture of life well lived, you know, right in the middle of all of the pain and the suffering this side of, this side of the resurrection. Um, think of life, of all of your relationships with God, um, with other people, or with the earth itself. And all of them are marked by this thing of the kingdom, this, this hallmark of the kingdom called shalom, where, yes, you thrive and you flourish, but you thrive and you flourish as being under God's rule and God's reign. That is success, and that is prosperity. And in the Hebrew Bible, the idea is that success um, comes from wisdom. Okay, so just read the wisdom literature. That's where success comes from. It's about knowing how to live well. It's skill and acumen for human life. That's why things like these parenting courses are so fantastic because they are they're tools of the kingdom. They are equipping us to learn how to do things wisely and well, like parenting. You know, and we all, those of us who've got kids, we all need as much help as we possibly can. So if you've got kids and you've been on 10 parenting courses, you should be signing up to the parenting course because it's going to help you live under the rule and reign of the kingdom of God. Same with Alpha. Same with all these things that happen. Wisdom, where does wisdom come from? Well, wisdom comes from God, but it comes through the revelation of of the scripture. It comes through the law, it comes through the prophets, it comes through the writings, and for us now, it comes to us through the New Testament as well. So the basic idea is this. If there's a formula, which there isn't, but if there was, the basic idea would be if you want to do well in life, delight in the Bible, meditate on the scriptures, and actually live it out. You know, put flesh and bone on it. But to read the Bible this way, okay, as we kind of think about how we are actually interacting with the Scriptures, in order for us to read the Bible that way, um, it means, I believe, it means we have to read slowly. There's something about the, the, the chewing, the meditation, the mumbling. All of these things are, are slow processes, and um, slow is just something we are not used to doing or being. We don't like slow. But I think we need to beware of hurry when it comes to reading the scriptures. I think we need to be aware of hurry in general, just as a general rule. I, I, I don't think hurry is a good thing. Dallas Willard called hurry the great enemy of the spiritual life. Um, but when we come to the scriptures, we need to find ways to really slow down. And it's hard to do because we live in a modern age. We all, we all live at 90 miles an hour, and we all live in this nonstop barrage of like digital stimuli and email and text and alerts on our phone and all of this stuff, all of it, relentless, relentless rent that stuff. And, you know, the reality is most of us, because we live in an age of distraction, we are literally addicted to distraction. You know, we all know this. We've all read the studies. You know, every time you refresh the page on your browser, or you get an email, you know, or you get a text message in your pocket, it's like, dopamine release, brah. It's like, oh, all is well with the world. You know, it's like, oh, I feel better. It's like, oh, great. 
you know, and so we all know that our smartphones, our iPhones, they are literally addictive devices. We're carrying like heroin around in our pocket and like it's just fixed to a straw. You know, I'm sure in a few years from now, there'll be, you know, we've got AA for alcoholics, we've got NA for drug addicts. I'm sure we'll have an, they'll be called like, you know, DA, like um, digital addiction groups or something. It's like, you know, hi, my name is Neil. I haven't been on Instagram for like three days. I'm not having a go at the digital age, it's amazing, right? But my point here is that in the, we're in this digital age and for better or for worse, it's fundamentally impacted the way that we read. Um, in the US, I mean, I could only find US stats, but uh, apparently in the US, uh, internet users spend an average of 13 hours um, online every week, which I was surprised, I thought it was low. Uh, they browse 99 domains and uh, 3,123 pages. I'm sure that's like probably higher. But um, the, the interesting thing is the time spent on each website is 56 seconds. Like 56 seconds, like the concentration span of a gnat. Um, the danger is that our reading experience is rapidly becoming a mile wide and an inch deep. And this is how most of us come to the scriptures. Now, you know, not as a meal to feast on. It's literally like a, you know, like a, a snack as we rush out the door. You know, it's just a really quick psalm in the morning just before I jump in the shower or it's that, that, that fantastic daily email that I get from whoever or wherever which has got that kind of devotional thing on the top and I'm like, great, I've read like half a verse. Don't even know what it means, but like I've had my Bible fixed for the day or, you know, on Instagram there's like some nice picture of um, something, you know, like a cat or something, I don't know, like a, a tree and there's some random verse and the picture and the verse don't actually match up, but at least I've had my Bible fixed for the day. Do you know what I mean? And like, I'm not knocking those things. We do that. Like, I mean, you know, on our Instagram posts, we're like encouraged because it's just like, get the Bible in you somehow. So it's not like this all bad. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying um, we need to relearn how to read our whole other pace. And I can say this because like, I'm, like, I'm now like a grumpy old man, which is so like I can, I can get away with all of this now, you know? But um, you know what it's like? It's like you sit down, you're going to read a book before bed, you know, and you, you, you know, get into bed at night or whatever, and you're, like, you're ready to kind of read like a novel, because like, it's a novel idea that you read a novel. And so, uh, you know, and your, your phone's there, and, you know, if you haven't turned it off or you don't not keep your phone in your bed, you know what happens. You, you know, you've read a sentence in your book, and then there's like a, a text message, and it's just, oh, okay, oh, I just need to see who that is. And you kind of respond, and... And then, you know, five minutes later, you've responded to that and you're coming back to your book. And now you're on the second sentence and then you get like some kind of alert from social media. And there's some really, really good looking guy or good looking girl who's kind of liked one of your posts. And you're just like, wow, now they're following me. You know, that's really good. And I feel much better about myself because of that. And then you think, oh, well, I ought to check out their profile. And you look at their picture again and like, you're like really glad that they're following you. And you think like we'd probably get married and stuff like that. And then you're talking, toying with the idea of like whether you should stalk them and find out like more about them, but you're supposed to be reading your book, but your book's actually really boring, and so stalking them is much more interesting. Anyway, now you're on to sentence number three, and you're kind of like an email pops up, and it's like, oh, quick, I probably ought to respond to that. And then you open it up, and the dopamine goes, oh, and you kind of go, oh, I feel so much better. You read the email really fast, and then you respond, and you kind of followed some really weird link to some I don't know how, and it is. You got there, but 10 minutes later, you're just looking at mindless, endless videos of bottle lid challenges, um, whatever the latest viral trend is, uh, whatever. And then you're back on your book, and it's like 25 minutes later, and you're on sentence four. 
It's going to take a really, really long time to read a book like that. That's why a lot of people don't read anymore. Um, smartphone addiction, digital addiction is very much a thing. We need to put away our phones, close our laptops, just, you know, just read a book. Uh, I came across this quote on the importance of books. Books, and for our context, think about the Bible. Books, in ways that are different to visual art, music, the radio, or even love, force us to walk through another's thoughts one word at a time over hours and days. We share our minds for that time with the writers. There's a slowness, a forced reflection required by the medium that is unique. Books recreate someone else's thoughts in our own minds. And maybe it is this one-to-one -one mapping of someone else's words on their own, without external stimuli, that gives books their power. Hello. Books force us to let someone else's thoughts inhabit our minds completely. And this is what happens when we come and we read the library that is the scripture. God's thoughts come and inhabit our minds completely. God's thoughts get into our head and our heart and our soul and our lives. Um, that's why we have to read the Bible. And I would argue why we have to read the Bible slowly. So, before we finish, I want to give you something very practical to go away with. Something for you to do this week. Some homework for you, uh, for when you're reading the Bible. And it's an ancient practice. It's been going around for millennia. It's called um, Lecto Divina. Uh, many of you will be familiar with it. But it's, it's, it's a way that followers of Jesus have been reading the sacred text that we call the scripture literally for thousands of years. And, and there are kind of like five phases uh, to Lecto Divina. Uh, there are five Latin words. Um, silencio, Lectio. Meditatio, oratio, contemplatio. Latins or gurus, just like, correct me on my pronunciation, like don't, okay? And in spite of the Latin, it's actually really easy to grasp. So, silencio, uh, you know, this is pretty easy to grasp. Um, and the basic idea here is that you just like, shut up. Just stop talking, quiet your mind. This is before, like, you haven't even got your Bible, like, open yet, right? Just spend some time. And, like, I, I have to spend, like, a lot of time just to get myself quiet. It takes a long time because the relentlessness of the hurry and the speed. But get yourself quiet. Still your mind, your body. Find yourself somewhere quiet. Switch off your phone. Find somewhere quiet. Don't do this in a coffee shop. Don't do this in the sitting room with the TV on in the background and the music playing. Just get somewhere quiet. Just doing that is like a challenge. But get somewhere quiet, no distractions. And then just take a little while just to kind of breathe slowly, breathe in, breathe out. And just open yourself up to God in prayer. Invite the Spirit of God to come as you Read. So you're prepared. The silencio is, is you're preparing yourself. You're entering into God's presence. You're preparing your heart to engage with the scriptures. Okay, and that will take different amounts of time for some of, some of us. For some of us, that's going to take a while, but just keep on with that. And then you come to the second phase. This is this lectio thing, uh, which basically means read, and just read, read and read slowly. Okay, so you're not like reading just to get through the book. You're reading slowly 
Um, and a lot of people suggest that when you read, that you read out loud or you whisper the, the scripture as you read it. Just do whatever works for you. I find that as I read, if I read out loud, when I read to myself, because I'm reading the Bible, like I can read any book to myself and just like be there. When I read the Bible and read it to myself, I'm like everywhere else. And I'll get through like three paragraphs and I realize I have absolutely no idea what's just happened because my brain has been somewhere else. When I read out loud, slowly, it just helps my um, concentration because I'm, you know, I can just be distracted by anything. So um, as you read through the passage and you're just reading through this passage, whatever passage it is, just read through it slowly. You know, if this is new to you, I'd encourage you to start in maybe the Gospels. Start, you know, just do the New Testament, maybe some of the stories around uh, some of the parables or you know, just some of Jesus' encounters with people like the healing of the, the sick or the healing of the whatever, you know, just something that you can kind of um, dig into for a little paragraph. And just as you read through the passage slowly, you're looking for, I don't know if this is language that's helpful, but um, you're basically looking for something that shimmers. Something that just kind of, um, for some bizarre reason, it just catches your attention, it just uh, catches your imagination, catches your eye. It's a kind of burning bush moment, yeah? Um, so you're reading through and you're just looking. Is there something that kind of just jumps off the page at you? Is it a word? Is it a phrase? Is it a character? Is it, is it a plot line? Is it an idea? What is it? Like, what is it that just suddenly kind of grabs you? And you've read this thing like a hundred times before, but you've not, that thing hasn't grabbed your attention before. That's the Holy Spirit. That's this interactive thing that's going on with us in the Holy Spirit as we read the Scriptures. Uh, but you're, you, you come across something that, that there's just this kind of deep, kind of there's a sense of resonance, you know? Uh, and as you're just reading through, you're just waiting for something to connect with your heart and your mind. And when it does, you just, just, you know, just kind of stop or just kind of put a pin there and, and then come back to it. Um, you, you know, but I'd encourage you just to, you know, finish that little section, but just come back to that thing and you just read it and read it again, and maybe read it again, and just begin to play around with it in your mind and ask the Spirit of God to unpack it for you, and what is it that the Spirit of God is wanting to say? And then um, third is meditatio. This is what you do. You, you, you meditate on that. You chew on that. You've got that, um, that, that thing, that, that thing that's shimmered, and it's now, it's now like you, it's in your mouth, chewing it around. <laughs> You're back with the dog with the dog and the bone. You're just like, oh, I want to just extract every bit of goodness out of this. What is it that God is saying? What does this mean? You know, and then you kind of like, okay, what does this mean for me? This is like, you know, a millennia later or whatever. It's like, how does this apply to me? You know, you're not thinking about how does this apply to my wife and my spouse, you know, like if only they could read this. I must tell them about this passage when they get home because they could really do with it. It's not about other people. It's not about the church, you know, what, how the church would benefit, you know, or I must send this to Neil and Kate, and then they'll, like, do a really much better job of leading the church, or the neighborhood, or the city. It's not with an agenda like that. It's, the only agenda is with you, right? It's about me. This is, you know, it's not Bible study time. This is just time for you to ask God, you know, what are you saying to me here? Is there a connection point between me and this line, this phrase here? Uh, just let your mind and the Holy Spirit together just make connections with what's happening in front of you in the scriptures. And then, Aratio, this is uh, for, this is basically where you pray. You know, as you become aware of what you sense God is saying to you, you talk to God about it. You pray it back 
to God. You engage with God in the process. You know, it's not a dry kind of academic kind of reading and studying. You're engaging with God. You know, maybe the response is worship or praise or wonder or awe. Maybe it's gratitude. Maybe it's like you're just wrecked by what you've read. So you just like repent. You kind of find yourself on the, fl- on, on the, fl- on your, on the floor, on your face before the Lord. Maybe it, you know, there's an invitation to pray for something. Um, maybe you vent. Maybe it's rage, you know, maybe it's not much more than doubt and anger and rage and confusion. That's okay. It's all, it's all okay, you know. God can handle your emotions, right? He can handle your anger and your frustration and your rage and your disappointment and your sadness. Like, just bring it all out before the Lord. He, he knows you're feeling it. He knows you're thinking it. So you're not doing anyone any favours by just keeping it all suppressed and bottled up. Let it all out. Let it all out and see how gracious he is and responsive he is. Whatever it is, just engage with God in that moment. Don't just, you know, don't just read the Bible and then go, great, done it. I've done my my duty for today. I've done my checklist, you know, and then take out your headphones and head into the office. Engage with God and pray back to God what you've been reading. And then contemplatio, this is... um, the idea here is that you sit in it, right? Um, it's about sitting in it. Um, and this is hard to explain, but you're, you kind of um, create some space. So you don't hurry and move on, but you create some space whereby you allow yourself and in the presence of God to just sit in the moment. And then you just allow the Spirit of God to, and you allow the Scripture to read you. Yeah, that's what happens. There's this weird thing that goes on when we read the Bible. We start reading the Bible, and then slowly but surely the Bible starts reading us. And we become aware of that transition. Um, And this is a great time for listening prayer. This is a great time for just kind of being still and silent in the presence of God. And it's like inviting the Spirit of God. Is there anything else that you want to say? Is there anything else? Is there a word? Is there a picture? Is there an image? Is there something you have to say to me? Um, And sometimes there isn't. Sometimes you just sit there. Uh, most times, actually, you just sit there, you're just with Jesus in that moment, in God's presence, and it's like, oh, this is sweet. This is so nice. I could just, yeah, I could just sit here. Just enjoy being in his presence. And you, you, you are in that moment um, in what Jesus calls the secret place. Yeah, it's just a place where it's just you and God and just you and God in that secret place. And just savor that moment. Don't, don't hurry. Don't hurry on from there. That's sweet. It's life-giving. It's life-affirming. Um, just savor all of that. Um, so just to recap, um, silence, just shut up, you know, and just... Just quiet your mind, your body, just be still. Um, read, read it, read it slowly, you know, looking for what shimmers, looking for what the Spirit of God is highlighting to you. Meditate, you know, think about it. Chew on it, ruminate, mull, you know, chew over it. Um, uh, pray it back, you know, speak it out. Pray it back to God and then sit in it. Sit in God's presence. Just listen for what God has for you in that moment. Now, don't, don't look at this as like... Um, 
you know, a simple step-by-step process is not a step-by-step process. The more we kind of sit in it and dig into it, you'll discover that it's not actually at all linear. Um, It's more like a rhythm that we tap into, and it kind of comes in and around and on itself. It does these kind of slightly mystical, weird, strange things, right? But it's um, awesome. And after a while, you kind of get into the practice of this. This becomes very intuitive, becomes second nature, and, you know... um, you're after this sort of conversational relationship, this dialogue, this interaction with God, where your Bible reading is very much a sense of you're not just sitting there studying or reading or trying to get through your kind of prayer, you know, Bible in a year thing. You're inviting, you're sitting in the presence of God in that moment, and you're just saying, I'm here and you're here, let's do this together and let's just see what you have. And um, as we open it up, like morning by morning, day by day, whatever it is, you know, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, whenever you get up, you know, make your coffee, find somewhere quiet, take a seat, you know, open up to whatever. And just, you step into this whole other reality um, and God is with you there in that moment. And as you read and as you meet with God and um, as you engage, not only am I, you, you, you engage your whole kind of soul, you engage your body, everything. And in that moment, we are being shaped by God himself. Lots and lots of stuff is happening. It's the space of transformation, being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. I'm going to end. I just want to come back to that, last, uh, that line that we read earlier in Psalm 1 about you know, how the person who's marked by um, delight and meditation and obedience on the scriptures is, is like this tree planted by streams of water. Um, that metaphor sort of gets a bit lost on us because of where we live, because we're, we're surrounded by trees, right? So, like, there's trees all over the place. And, um, but Psalm 1 was written by a poet in the Middle East, and uh, in the desert, trees are a rarity. They are a rare find. You know, water was a precious commodity. And, and that just really, we just kind of need to think about that because that makes this whole metaphor even more striking. So it's like if you delight in this book, collection of books, if you meditate on the scriptures, if you live it out, you will be, you will become like a tree planted by streams of water. You know, um, I don't know what the equivalent would be in London. Um, like maybe sunshine in the summer or something. I don't know. Like it's something out of the ordinary, you know? Um, Sunshine in February, like a heat wave in February, right? Uh, basically, what the, the idea here is that you will stick out like a sore thumb, like a tree that's flourishing in the middle of a desert. You will be like, everyone's like, see that tree? It's like, it's like really green. And like it's green all the time. And like we're in the middle of the desert. Like how did that happen? Let's go and see that tree. Interesting. And the reality is we need more trees, you know? Not literally, although that's true. I, I mean sort of metaphorically, we need more trees. We've got more than enough grass. We've got more than enough men and women who come and go, who believe in this, who then believe in that. Gone here one minute, gone the next. There is gazillions of those, right? Our society, our culture is designed for grass. We celebrate grass. We make celebrities of grass. What we need are more men and women and children, young and old, who are rooted in the soil of the scripture, who delight in the scriptures, who meditate on the scriptures, who live out the scriptures, who are rooted in the life of the kingdom of God. We need more trees, more than enough grass. Uh, What we need are trees, okay? 
I think you stand three people.